Uh, welcome to the Jacobson's Market Intelligence Report webinar. Um, thanks for joining us. And uh, this week, we're going to highlight a couple of the uh, sort of headline news that are affecting our markets. Uh, most notably, um, we're continuing to hear some further announcements around future renewable diesel and, and future feedstock demand projects. Um, this past week on the heels of the Bakersfield, California um, refinery retrofit project announcement, um, there were talks from an existing petroleum refiner, CVR Refining, who's been noted um, for their, their investor, Carl Icahn, and for some of their stances on SREs, uh, amidst the RFS2 program. Um, and they actually went from, I guess, a traditional position of, of having some issues with the RFS2 program to suggesting they may now convert units to renewable diesel. Um, so that's another, I think, significant step in refiners looking at ways to meet these, these compliance requirements um, and a trend that we've been watching closely. But that's not probably hitting uh, the feedstock markets quite yet. So let's see what is going on uh, and jump into use cooking oil, Ryan. Thanks, John. Um, well, we'll start with yellow grease because uh, that seems to have the most potential for a downside right now. Um, we're seeing uh, additional supplies start to hit the market. Uh, tallow, uh, I should say, cattle slaughter is picking up. Hog slaughter is definitely picking up, and there's been some reformulations due to high prices relative to so, uh, corn and soybean oil. And as a result, the sellers coming back into the market are having to drop their prices to find their way back into formulation. And just as a rising tide lifts all boats, uh, sinking boat, I guess, does whatever, sinks all the boats, including yellow grease. So, um, yeah, we're seeing some lower prices there, and we forecast that to persist in the near term. As far as used cooking oil goes, um, we are projecting some higher prices out ahead, and this has to do with strong demand. I think we're going to see some increased liquidity um, coming up over the next maybe four to six weeks as uh, some of these lockdown restrictions start to ease and people take advantage of what I want to stop short of calling newfound freedom, but their ability to go out and, and socialize in restaurant environments. Um, uh, the demand's going to be there. However, that upside is going to be limited due to the, the cheap heating oil and uh, cheap diesel prices. So there is a cap on how high this thing will go, but I think we're going to see stronger prices in the near term. With that, I'll kick it back to you. Fantastic. Yeah, those are really interesting, obviously, markets to watch in relation to the, the present market conditions. Um, and as we've been saying, as these low CI feedstocks remain uh, volatile at a minimum. Soybean oil, we continue to see as the catch-all. So Tori, give us an update on where things look in the soybean oil complex. Sure, thanks, John. Um, so really over the past week, soybean oil and, and palm oil, world vegetable oil prices have rallied pretty sharply as, as crude has kind of gone parabolic uh, over kind of the same time frame. Um, it looks like soybean oil is broken out of the upper end of the, the recent trading range. Um, and even though it's down a little bit today, that has more to do with technical selling than it does with uh, any change in sort of the outlook. And the, the recovery in crude oil and, and the move higher has, has driven an increase in our forecast for prices, we raised our forecast between a, a cent and a quarter and a quarter cents out through 
the next year with the larger increases in, occurring in the in the months that are closer because the the out months were already relatively high. Uh, last week, we also got uh, the monthly NOPA reports, and crush was was estimated at 171.8 million bushels. Um, that was just above market expectations that were basically 171 million bushels. We were below that at 166.5. Um, based on the strength of, of that number, and we had kind of uh, obviously expected it to come in lower for a couple of different reasons. One, we heard that, that soybean oil was demand was particularly weak in, in April, and that doesn't look like it was necessarily true. It doesn't look like it was as strong as it was in, in March, but it looks like um, it wasn't as weak as, as some people were talking about. But as a result of, of the, the stronger crush, we raised our 1920 crush prediction by 10 million bushels to 2.12, which is just shy of, of USDA that's at 2.125. Um, NOPA estimated soybean oil stocks at the end of April were 2.11 billion pounds. That was 212 million pounds above March and 324 million pounds above last year. Uh, NOPA stocks continue to uh, be at the upper end of the historical range relative to um, total stocks when NAS reports it at the beginning of, of the following month. And so because of that, uh, we, we typically look at sort of an average over the last 12 months of, of the difference between the two when we're setting our, our forecast for uh, the monthly stocks number, but because we've had this this run of four months where NOPA stocks have accounted for more than 80% of the total, um, we looked at, we relied more heavily on those four months uh, when setting our forecast for what uh, stocks were at the end of April, which we think will be 2.56 billion pounds. Uh, the stocks number and the production number implied that domestic usage in April was 1.72 billion pounds. Um, that's a 236 million pound decrease from 1.96 in March. Like I said, March was, was particularly strong. It looks like April backed off, but we expect that uh, with the increase in crude oil prices um, and with the return to uh, more economic activity, we think that April probably is the bottom for uh, domestic demand and see it rising through uh, the rest of the year. Non-biofuel usage uh, was about 1 million pounds, 236 million pounds below March. Again, we think that's probably the bottom. Um, and we uh, expect it to continue to recover throughout the rest of the year. But to offset sort of the, the gap in April between what we think will be realized and our, our pre-NOPA forecast, we reduced our non-biofuel use for 2019-20 by 200 million pounds to 13.6 billion. And with that, I'll send it back to you, John. Excellent. Well, jumping into uh, the biomass-based diesel world a bit, um, we're gonna start off and take a look at the uh, soybean oil, the heating oil spread and that chart if we can, George move over to the hobo section. Um, and the spread's continuing to move lower, uh, kind of coming under the dollar mark this past week with um, obviously the energy side moving just a little bit faster towards recovery. Heating oil's up towards a dollar now and we've got the soybean oil up towards 27 cents on the front months. 
and that's making the spread overall, that boho spread a touch lower, thus taking some pressure off of um, biodiesel production economics, moving renewable diesel into more profitable zone, um, and then biodiesel closer to profitable as we'll see shortly. The D4 in, if we can jump into real quick, um, has continued even though structurally the D4 should arguably be coming off a bit with the last couple weeks move in the boho spread. The D4 has maintained its position in that sort of lower half of the 50 cent bracket. Um, and so effectively the two things, the D4 in maintaining and that spread coming off is starting to uh, move at least that biodiesel scenario towards profitable production. Um, let's run over to the gross processing monitor to take a better look at that. But you'll see on the right there, we're still showing sort of negative margins. That's an approximate. So obviously some of the lowest cost players are, are going to be hovering right in there. Um, and so we see biodiesel coming back towards profitability. That's going to certainly help uh, new feedstock purchases and, and a surge in potential feedstock buying. Um, while renewable diesel maintains its profitability um, and its demand in the markets. Uh, I know there's a few th interesting things we caught in the beginning of the week here with Oregon. Sounds like they're moving towards cap and trade, uh, expanding that CFP program. So let's, let's move over into the LCFS program with Bob Lane. Bob, what are we seeing out on the West Coast? Thanks, John. Uh, on the West Coast, uh, things are pretty steady, at least as far as the programs themselves go. Uh, as you mentioned, Oregon is, uh, they are going to be ramping up their program. Uh, that, that date is forecast to begin uh, 2022. Uh, Canada is the same way. They've seen a delay in their announcement on the liquid fuels, however, uh, but that won't affect the uh, uh, expected starting date. They, they also are expected to begin in 2022. Uh, Colorado has uh, has a program under development. Uh, they have some information that should be coming out shortly. That we're thinking they might begin 2022-2023. So the, everything seems to be moving strong out there. Uh, let's take a look at the, the credit real quick. Uh, uh, credit volume last week in California dropped sharply. It, it, it went down to 15,000 credits, a uh, uh, strong drop from uh, weeks prior when they were averaging, you know, seven to 900,000 credits uh, a week. Uh, despite the uh, drop in the number of credits, which I think was the lowest since 2017, average price seems to be holding steady uh, on a daily basis. We're seeing uh, reports of credit trading in the, the 200 to $205 range. So that, that appears to be healthy. Um, we think that uh, prices are going to continue to hold there for right now. Uh, the program remains uh, well incentivized throughout the first quarter uh, in California. They've collected $1.6 billion in, from, from credits. Uh, that compares to all of 2019 where $2.4 billion was collected. So uh, things seem to be going well there. They're well incentivized. Uh, touching briefly on what you mentioned earlier about the merchant refiner making an announcement of leaning towards renewable diesel. Uh, find that particularly important. Uh, the, the CEO of the company uh, used the term that uh, 
they are basically capitulating on, on where they were before and looking to perhaps embrace uh, renewable diesel. They have excess hydrogen and they have plants that they could use. They think it's a good fit for them. And it was really a surprising announcement coming from a company that had been fighting tooth and nail against the RFS. He went on to say that uh, in his in his words, the industry believes that uh, programs like California and Oregon are going to basically overtake the RFS. So we have been assuming that these programs have been strong and healthy, and now you see that it appears that there could be a changing of the guard there. Uh, he went on to say that uh, he feels that RINs have nowhere to go but up right now, so they are looking to offset their exposure to RINs. Uh, John, I'll kick it back to you. Yep, that certainly makes sense. And, uh, you know, I think in general, right, those LCFS programs, they're, they're going to continue to proliferate um, as we're watching. And, uh, and, and I agree. I think, you know, if we were to take some stock, we didn't see, you know, the type of capital expenditure and moves with RFS2 that are now taking a place around this California program. George, uh, with that, let's jump into some questions. It seems like we got a few this week, so. Sure. Uh, first one's for Tori. What could drive the price of palm oil back to 2,000 ringgit? Um, that's, it's kind of a big ask right now, given that uh, we've moved higher relatively quickly and, and given what, what crude oil uh, has done um, and, and, and the fact that the 2,000 level is, is kind of the low end of, of the historical range and kind of a hard, hard floor almost. Uh, there are a couple of things, I guess, that I could think of off the top of my head. The biggest would probably be a delay in Indonesia's implementation of uh, their increase in, in mandates. Um, that would probably send prices down pretty sharply pretty quickly because uh, the market is counting on strength in domestic demand um, for a significant portion of, of the overall demand structure. And we saw in the last MPOB report with the, uh, the Malaysia backing off on, on their mandate, their uh, domestic demand dropped pretty sharply, dropped like 40% month over month. Um, so that would do it. The other thing that, that might do it, probably a little less likely to do it, would be another um, tiff between the Malaysian government and the Indian government that got, uh, I guess, further restrictions on Malaysian palm oil imports into India. I, I don't think that that's probably very likely either. So um, really the, the, the Indonesia mandate would be probably the main thing that I would think that might drive it back down towards that level. Excellent. Thank you, Tori. Uh, Ryan, where do you see BFT moving by the end of May? Uh, and I'll try to refrain from any more Yogi Berra-isms in my answer here. Um, you know, that, the holiday may keep things steady. We're at 34 and a half on Packer, 35 on Renderer right now. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a 34 Packer in the next couple of days. Uh, it just depends on how motivated the sellers are. You know, we're hearing there's a little bit of extra material out there and there's some pressure from the higher uh, cattle slaughter numbers. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's gonna steady at best and maybe come off a, a penny uh, by the end of the month. And while we're with you on this one, uh, mm -hmm. what's happening with the UCO export market? 
the exports to Asia remain strong. Uh, renewable diesel demand in that sector is, is good. Um, um, yeah, so we're seeing good demand for Houston because that's a major port. As far as Europe goes, the sellers seem to be well sold through June, uh, maybe even into July. Um, demand there is capped by, I think, full storage or, or high storage levels of uh, UCME. Uh, people aren't driving around as much, hence lower diesel demand. I think once we see things start to loosen up a little bit there, demand will increase. Uh, values have been indicated north of uh, 725 for U.S. material into Rotterdam. Uh, Chinese materials being bid under $700, and they're asking, sellers are asking over 710 to 730 for, let's say, 5.6 acid material um, into ARA. All right. Thank you, Ryan. Mm -hmm. uh, Cusick, the CVR announcement, that's a 180-degree pivot. What's the thinking behind that? Um, well, I think, right, what we touched on that they were very vocal out there in the years prior. Um, they were, a, a, you know, a unique sort of independent refinery that arguably did not fit well within RFS2 and was probably a, a, one of the better candidates to some degree, Bob, would you agree for SREs? Because they didn't have some of the vertically sort of in integration downstream that other refiners and merchant refiners have that enables them to collect RINs from ethanol blending. So if you look at what CVR said, I think they talked about an estimated 65 to $75 million RIN cost for 2020. Um, and, you know, I think what they're starting to do the economics of is if you, if you look at the profitability of oil refining and then you look at, say, the Valero earnings and the renewable diesel refining, and then you add that cost in against it, um, you know, it starts to make some pretty sen quick sense to look at these conversions and maybe offsetting um, and at least creating some of that optionality. So it's, it's this theme and this trend we see coming where it's starting to become smart business to look at these low carbon options. When you have California and Oregon creating demand of high margin products, you know, that's where energy producers are going to move towards those higher margin opportunities inevitably. So, and obviously Carl Icahn's a super smart, <laughs> uh, passionate investor in this company that's had his, you know, his eye on the ball of things. And I'm certain he's watched Valero earnings and taken notice of some of these developments too. So uh, again, I think we think more of this is to come. All right. Thank you, John. Last question, Tori, did the USDA's first balance sheets in the WASD change your price outlook? Uh, the first 2020? Yes. 2021 balance sheets? Um, not, not particularly. Uh, like I kind of said last week after just sort of an initial quick look at it, it, it looked like we had, we both got to sort of the same place and in a little bit different manner. Um, after taking a deeper look into it, I think the only thing we really changed is I think we raised our, our export forecast a little bit. We're still probably not where um, USDA is, but we offset that with a, a decrease in 
um, domestic demand and, and I think a little bit of an increase in, in supply uh, based on a little bit higher crush given the, the trends in crush. Um, so no, we, like I said, we changed our forecast this week based on uh, in part the, the rapid recovery or the faster than expected recovery in, in crude oil prices and what looks like an opening of, of the economy and return at least to some level of economic activity. Um, but there wasn't enough difference between uh, where we were and where USDA was with their first 2021 balance sheets to really make me change my uh, soybean oil price forecast dramatically. Okay, Tori, thank you so much. Cusick, that's a wrap on the questions from my end. All right, great. Well, thanks everybody. Uh, have, a, have a good week and uh, please join us next week. Mm -hmm.